Attention Against the Spread listeners. Make sure to hit the follow subscribe button to hear Mark Lawrence's special podcast throughout the year. And next week, tune in for a special NFL playoff edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas odds maker! corner the crowd favorite from south florida mark winning picks lawrence and now let's get it on against the spread winning picks with mark lawrence welcome back everybody once again this is mark lawrence along with victor king wishing you a happy new year in the 2021 year ahead and it has to be better than 2020 was obviously and also with a tear in our eye, if you will, this being our final Against the Spread podcast for the 2020 football season. With that, I want to welcome in our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, first of all, before we get into the show, I want to ask you, how was your Christmas, your family day Christmas with the family, and how were things for you in the handicapping world last week? Well, like a lot of people in the country, uh, a little bit of a low-key Christmas. That's definitely okay with us. We uh, enjoyed a real uh, fun Christmas Day game between the Vikings and the Saints. Uh, Overall, we're absolutely fine with it. We'll move on, and I'm sure that uh, 2021 will be a much better year. We can't get much worse, that's for for sure. Uh, Good weekend overall in terms of the uh, handicapping action. It looks like Mark hit both of his best bets over the weekend. That four-star Cure Bowl winner on Liberty on Saturday, an outright winner over Coastal Carolina. Nicely done there. And, of course, the four-star best bet on the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. Well played there as well. And, in fact, I think we hit both sides of that Steelers-Colts game that we broke down last week on the podcast with the Steelers finally getting their act together in the second half of that game but uh, nicely done as we had the uh, Steelers and the over in that game against the Colts. Yeah, it was a nice weekend overall, especially uh, with Christmas being uh, what it was. It was a nice day in our household as well. We sat around and watched the football game and watched the rest of the Christmas movies and enjoyed a lot of good fun and really enjoyed the day for what it was. The college football bowl season being what it is right now, we've been pared down obviously with all the COVID cancellations, but we're dealing with what we have in front of us. That's what we have to do. We have to handicap the games that are dead in front of us. And uh, before I get to Victor on a little bit of a recap on the bowl games, I'm going to share with you what it is that I've learned thus far this college football bowl season. And sometimes it goes to the point of uh, you learn things because of uh, either mistakes or something you did that maybe perhaps you should not have done, and you put it into the book of experience, move forward, and remember, I hope you remember that moving forward. And I'm going to isolate one game in particular, if I may, of a selection that we used in the college football bowl games. And in fact, it was Tuesday night when we used Colorado against Texas in the bowl game. And we had had a lot of good handicapping factors coming to the Buffaloes in the contest. Uh, one of them being one of my favorite college football bowl angles where we look to play against college football bowl favorites that 
won a bowl game the previous year straight up as an underdog of more than six points. These bowl reversal games have fared very, very well, fading these favorites off these surprising upset bowl wins the previous year. And in fact, Texas had done that two years in a row, one bowl game straight up as dogs of more than six points, had been dogs in all three bowl games under Tom Herman, and dressed up as a solid favorite against Colorado, an upstart team that we've liked all year long. Then here came the dilemma. And the dilemma being that knowing in from our database how poorly Pac-12 teams have played in bowl games going back to 2016, the decision became, do we use Colorado and ignore the, the, the uh, lack of success of Pac-12 teams or stay completely out of the game? Well, I opted to use Colorado for form and function and what it is we're looking at because they felt Texas had a lot of holes this season as well. So what happens? Texas routes Colorado, down goes another Pac-12 team, and with that loss, Pac-12 teams are now 1-21 and against the spread in bowl games when taking on opponents coming off a win. Wow. What are you going to do? Learn from the lesson? I obviously will. I'll stay away from Pac-12 teams until they can prove to me that they belong in the Power 5 conference and can play with the Power 5 teams. A lesson hard learned, to say the least, but it all comes into being what handicapping is all about. That's learning from your mistakes. That's what I learned in the college football bowl games thus far. Victor, if you would, I don't know if there's things that you want to share what you've learned or at least update our listeners out there about what we've seen as far as results go in the college football bowl season. Well, first off, in regard to that Buffalo's game, I mean, you, you can't feel too bad about it. We'll move on. We will learn from it, that's for sure. But they were also in the only actual long-term profitable winning situation when it came to Pac-12 teams, and that was they were one of the uh, teams in a 17-6 and ATS situation for Pac-12 dogs who lost their last game of the season. They were active in that, and uh, they didn't cover. Uh, that's the way it is. We... We'll still move on. I'll say this, uh, with the cancellation of the Texas Bowl, that was the TCU-Arkansas game that was scheduled for New Year's Eve, there have now been eight bowl games that have been called off or canceled thus far. And uh, that's an email I got actually twice last week. Hey, can you set an over-underline for how many bowl games will be canceled this season? Which I thought was a little bit amusing, that's for sure. Uh, in terms of overall results, we record the podcast, of course, on Wednesday morning. So we are talking about all bowl games that have been played uh, prior to this day, including the two that were played yesterday on Tuesday. And so far, it's been a favorite bowl season. The Faves have now gone 9-3 and three against the spread mark. And not only that, but the uh, overs are hitting pretty well in the bowl games as well, as eight of the first 12 bowl games have gone over the total. We'll see if those numbers continue or if the numbers come back to the norm. But thus far, it's been all about uh, laying the points and uh, expecting uh, pretty much a shootout in every bowl game. Well, we'll see what we get into this weekend, Victor. It is the New Year's Day six bowl games largely on tap coming moving forward this weekend. Uh, highlighted, obviously, with the college football playoff semifinal games, two terrific football games, by the way, which I'll be glued to watching this weekend so we'll see exactly where those trends fare and what happens as it all shakes out for this 2020 bowl season you're tuned in to mark lawrence against the spread the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show 
on this, our final show of the 2020 football season. And with that, let's move over to the National Football League side of things. And before I get to our side of things, let me get this off my chest, if I may. And it revolves, it surrounds what it is that I learned in the National Football League last week, and I've known it all season long. It just highlighted and came came to being last week when we saw the Cleveland Browns forced to take the field against the New York Jets in a football game where the Browns had six starters out for the football game related to COVID situations. And to that, I say, and this comes from our Playbook Football Newsletter this week, I did a really rather lengthy, long write-up on the Browns-Pittsburgh game this week. One, because it's a game that's relatively important, but two, also espousing what I feel about what's going on in the National Football League as far as the COVID is concerned. And what I said basically was shame on you, Roger Goodell, and shame on the NFL too. Not because you forced the Browns to play the Jets with a 24-hour notice for the game last week without their top four wide receivers or their two starting linebacks because of the COVID protocols. My beef is that the National Football League had plenty of time back in May and June to build a week 18 schedule for this exact scenario where teams who were afflicted by COVID situations where games had to either be postponed or moved around or delayed could have at least had a week 18 scenario to make up these football games when teams would have been in a much better, healthier situation than they were being forced to being jostled about. It affected the Cleveland Browns in a obviously a tragic way. There's no excuse for the Browns losing to the hapless New York Jets, but they did because they had to play a ton of practice player squads and because they were notified of this with no time to get ready for a game plan 24 hours before the game. And to that, I say shame on you, the National Football League. You are all about money. You are all about greed. You don't care about the players. You can say all of what you want uh, about the Black Lives Matter movements and about uh, domestic violence and everything like that. But your true colors have coming to the surface this football season throughout this 2020 COVID dilemma that we're living with. And we're seeing proof of it this football season. That's my getting off my chest what I learned, Victor, about the National Football League last week. I didn't want to get maybe too pointed, but I had to do just that. I'll turn it over to you to see if there's anything that you, anything you've learned on the football card, and also if you can share with us some numbers that we've seen so far in the National Football League this season. What I've learned is, uh, and my thoughts are, of course, a recency bias because we always talk about the thing that was just played uh, uh, as soon as possible, and that's the Monday night game in which Buffalo absolutely dominated the New England Patriots. And, Mark, what I learn is the fact that if you really think the Kansas City Chiefs are the slam dunk winners of the upcoming Super Bowl, I would think again, uh, even at their current odds of uh, what they're getting, plus 160 to plus 170, if you think the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. Let me say this about Kansas City. I know they're on a seven-game winning streak, but they're sleepwalking. The Chiefs' last seven wins have been by a combined 27 points. That's less than a, a margin of less than four points per game for the Chiefs. And it's pretty much been the same storyline, Mark. The offense basically sleepwalks through most of the game, and then Mahomes bails the team out late like he did last week against the Falcons. It's not what I would expect from a 14-1 and team that's currently plus 170 to win the Super Bowl. I mean, 
I can easily make a case that there's at least two teams in the AFC playing much better ball than the Chiefs right now, and that would be the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. And here's one for you. The Buffalo Bills have recorded at least 20 first downs on offense in every single game this year. And we're talking uncharted territory. The last NFL team to do that was the 2012 New England Patriots. So you want to talk consistency? You want to talk offensive improvement? It's definitely there with the Buffalo Bills. And I spent about a uh, an hour yesterday uh, just talking to my brother, Kurt, and we were rehashing the Buffalo game and the Baltimore Ravens. The next thing I know, Mark, I heard that he drove from, uh, oh, uh, around the Kent area in Ohio, across the state line to Philadelphia, went to the Rivers Casino, made two huge waivers, uh, wagers on the Baltimore Ravens at 12 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl and the Buffalo Bills at 11 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. So good for you, Kurt. A couple of Super Bowl futures on uh, some teams in which you're getting some outstanding value. And one thing I will say is, again, uh, this Kansas City team, I, I mean, heck, they had to come back three times in the playoffs last year. So if you think they're the clear-cut best team in the AFC or the NFL period, I would definitely think again. Um, our dogs uh, breakdown in terms of the NFL mark. Dogs, not a great week last week, 6-9 and nine against the spread. Still... On the season, uh, underdogs, uh, 130, 102, and 3. That is ATS. That's a strong 56% for the underdogs. Best road dog situation for the year, 28 and 13, when taking on any losing team. And we have one instance this week in which that occurs. That would be the Jets plus the points against the Patriots, again, who looked so bad on Monday night. And then the best uh, home dog situation has been 20 and 11 this season against the spread for all home dogs taking on any opponents off multiple wins in a row. And there are five such dogs going this particular week, but again, not a great week for the dogs still overall for this season. They've done very, very well. And uh, again, uh, what I learned is that the chiefs are nowhere as good as what some people think they are. Well, uh, I agree with you, Victor. And uh, I also have to think that you might be responsible for uh, influencing others to make wagers, to drive out of the state to go make wagers. <laughs> right. <laughs> In a sense like that, but I do like his two plays. I have to say that for sure. Uh, you mentioned about the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, if people that have been backing them are just about ready to slit their throats. Uh, in the last eight games, they've yet to cover the spread. They have one push to do just that. So obviously Kansas City, as you mentioned, has not been playing good football you just wonder if they make the playoffs, will they continue that way or will they go the other way? That remains to be seen. Uh, one other note here that we have from our good friend, the Texas Tornado, and he brings out an excellent point this week, and it's something that I think is really relevant on the final week of the National Football League season. As we know that last week of the NFL season has gone to all division game matchups, and uh, uh, there's some unique, interesting trends involving teams that are playing their last game of the season since they've gone to this particular matchup here. And it identifies a lot of teams that have revenge in their final game of the season since they've gone to this all-division matchup. And uh, it supports some dogs that you might not think would be there. Uh, this, is, this is since 2010 since they've done just that. But, uh, you know, when they're taking on opponents that are off back-to-back losses in games like this, they're really, really good football plays. 
And we'll see exactly what happens to those teams. Isolate those, if you will, handicapping the card. But our friend, the Texas Tornado from Dallas, Texas, reminds us that there is a luxury tax that people are paying each and every year for the final week of the football season for one simple reason. And that's because teams are identified as having to be in must-win situations to make the playoffs. And because they're in must-win situations, the oddsmakers must adjust the lines. And when they adjust the lines, they basically strip out any value, true value, of what exists in the football games. And uh, just to be identified, this is what uh, our good friend Steve sent us over from Dallas, Texas here. Uh, As far as line movements have been concerned, you take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles and what they were beginning the football season. Uh, They were minus four and a half. Now now Washington's minus two and a half. Minus four and a half to start the season. Now Washington two and a half. That's a seven-point luxury tax on the Washington football team. The Cleveland Browns were minus four points against the Pittsburgh Steelers to begin the season. They're now up to 10.5. That's a a 6.5-point luxury tax. Obviously, the need for Cleveland and the resting of Ben Roethlisberger plays well into that. The Tennessee Titans, 4.5-point favorites uh, in their football game to begin the football season. Now, 7.5-point favorites. That's a 3-point luxury tax on the Tennessee Titans this week in their football game when they take on Houston. The Miami Dolphins, minus 5 uh, what they've gone here too, and if you take a look at this now, uh, Buffalo minus six, that's an 11-point luxury tax on the Miami Dolphins in this football game because the Miamis need to win the football game and the possibility that Buffalo may, may rest some regulars. that hasn't been announced yet. We'll see if that happens and whatnot. And also you get situations where a win, a team needs win and they need help. That's like the Indianapolis Colts who are minus 14 in their game against Jacksonville, they were a nine-point favorite in this game before the season began. So there's a five-point luxury tax you're playing. And finally, the big line jumpers, the New York Giants, minus three-and-a-half against Dallas. Now Dallas is the three-point favorite in the game. That's a six-and-a-half-point luxury tax on the Giants. So when you make your plays this week, ask yourself before you push the button to send your plays in, am I... Am I violating value to the absolute max in these football games? And does the game still handicap at this price? It's a big, big question to ask yourself. And if it does, you're better off to step out and not play the game as opposed to going with your gut instinct in these football games. So ask yourself, is there a luxury tax you're paying on these football games? And if so, does the game still warrant being played as a handicap? Before we move over to our NFL game of the week, I want to review with you once again as we go into the final week of the season, the top seven seeds in the NFL playoff race right now. And in fact, in this week's playbook football newsletter, we have a full page devoted to the exact NFL playoff clinching scenarios for week 17. You want to get your hands on the playbook. You'll see exactly what all those if-come possibilities happen to be. But right now, as we go into the weekend, the number one seeds being Kansas City and Green Bay. Obviously, the key factor here is bye weeks. They get a bye week off of the regular season into the playoffs. Kansas City uh, enjoyed their bye week in week 10 of the football season. Green Bay, week five of the football season. So it would be a, a really a welcomed bye for the Green Bay Packers, who have been a long time without a week of rest. The number two seeds, the Buffalo Bills and the New Orleans Saints. Number three, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Seattle Seahawks. 
the number four seeds, Tennessee Titans out of the AFC, and the Washington football team still holding on clinging to that NFC East lead and holding down the number four spot. Number five, the Miami Dolphins and the Tampa Bay Bucks. The number six teams, the fastly charging Baltimore Ravens and the slowly dissipating L.A. Rams. And the seventh and final seeds belong to the Cleveland Browns and the Chicago Bears, with Indianapolis the only possible team other than the top seven I mentioned in the number eight spot to possibly make the playoffs, whereas over in the NFC side, number eight is Arizona, number nine is Dallas, and number 13 is the New York Giants, all because of that NFC division winner situation that revolves these football games. And a quick note from our good friend Jeff Kabasiak from up in Canada. He asked us, how does handicapping the National Football League playoff games do we take any different approach to that when it comes to handicapping the NFL playoffs with the COVID situation being what it is as opposed to years in the past? That's a good question, and it really uh, ponders a lot of forethought into uh, into what exactly what it is we're going to be doing here. And I think each game uh, is like a snowflake. It needs to be examined and handicapped individually by itself because it takes on a different persona. So we need to find out exactly what these situations are. Teams like the Cleveland Browns, who have been beset by COVID here of late, it could factor into the situation when the playoffs come, if they do make the playoffs. Teams that have been clean and healthy all football season, knock on wood, look to stay the same. That could also factor into that as well. So do your homework. Check out these situations when it comes to handicapping the National Football League playoffs and do yourself a favor. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we're going to tear down our NFL game of the week. We've got a beauty on tap in the NFC Black and Blue Division. When the Chicago Bears play host to the Green Bay Packers, we'll tear that game apart. And how about the Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Only the Playbook Experts VIP Experience offers We Pay the Juice, Conflict Game Notices, Tokens Bonuses, SMS Alerts, and Genius Game Alerts. It's the only customer experience of its kind. To find out more about becoming a Playbook Experts VIP, log on today at playbook.com or call toll-free for more information at 1-800-PLAYBOOK. Become a VIP this football season with your Playbook Experts VIP membership. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook Experts picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit playbook.com and click on the tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at playbook.com. You're tuned into Mark Lawrence against the spread. And now, let's throw it back to Mark. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King on our final against the spread podcast for this 2020 football season. It's time for our NFL game of the week. And we've got a dandy on tap in the NFC North division where the Chicago Bears will play host to the Green Bay Packers. And Victor, before I hand it off to you, one other sidebar note with regard to our friend, the guitar man from Canada, Jeff Kabasiak. One other thought to keep in mind handicapping the NFL football playoffs are teams like Chicago, who, if in fact they do make the playoffs this week, if they win, they get in. How do they handle the playoffs after being there now for the first time in 10 years? So that's another twist, what you have to look at when it comes to handicapping the NFL football playoff card. One of a lot of different scenarios that take place 
when it comes down to breaking down these NFL playoffs. With that, Victor, I'm going to ask you your take on the Bears and the Packers this week and how you see this game shaking out from an over-under total perspective. I'm glad you chose this as our game of the week. It's uh, basically uh, a live-and-die type situation for both teams. And, of course, it'll determine the number one seed in the NFC Conference. As far as I understand, if Green Bay wins, they're the number one seed. They get that week of rest that uh, Mark was just talking about. Or if Seattle loses in their game against the 49ers, then Green Bay also clinches the number one seed. If Green Bay loses, Seattle wins, and the Saints lose, then Seattle kind of backdoors their way to the number one seed. And finally, if Green Bay loses, Seattle wins, and the Saints win on the road against Carolina, then the Saints sneak in as the number one seed. A little bit confusing, but it can still go three ways. Either way, uh, it's up to the Packers and what they do in this game against Chicago. And there are so many different fascinating elements of this game, particularly from an over-under perspective, that that really need to be talked about. Uh, First off, the fact that the line opened at a very high 49 points. And as we are recording the podcast here on Wednesday, it's done nothing but gone up. 50 and a half, 51. I'm seeing 51 and a half right now for the Packers and Bears. And that, that is a shocking, crazy over-underline for Chicago Bears game. Uh, also considering the fact that the average line in this series over the last 10 meetings covering a five-year period has been only 43.4. So the line is basically a full touchdown higher than the normal or usual Packers uh, Chicago Bears game. In fact, this is the highest over underline for a Bears game since way back in 2014. That's six full seasons. Back then, uh, their line against the same Packers was 53. The Bears lost 55 to 14 in that particular game, but that's how long it's been since the Bears had an over underline uh, this high. And uh, Bear home games this year, two and five over under, two overs, five unders, only 41.0 combined points per game. They've been a great over team. They've gone five and three over under on the road with an average of 50.6 points per game. But again, their home games have been uh, pretty low scoring this season. Packers uh, on the season right now, 4-4 four and four over under at home, 51.1 points per game. However, on the road this year, Packer games have been amongst the highest scoring in the entire league in the NFL. Packer road games have averaged 59.7 points per game. They've gone 4-2-1 and one over under. Uh, that's perhaps one of the reasons why the over under line is so high in this particular game. If you recall this season's earlier meeting, these two teams played each other just four short weeks ago, November 29th in Green Bay. In that particular game, Green Bay was an eight and a half point home favorite over under line was 44, which is a more in line with what the history in this series suggests. But it was high scoring. Green Bay won 41 to 25. The game went over in the third quarter. It ended up going over the total by more than three touchdowns by 22 points. That was this season's earlier meeting. So again, we're trying to explain why the over-under line in this particular game is so high. And since that first meeting game, this Chicago offense is absolutely thriving. 
In fact, you, you wrote about it in the playbook newsletter. They're in uncharted territory. Four straight games for the Bears in which they have scored 30 or more points. That's 30, 36, 33, and 41 points in their last four games. Has the offense woken up? A little bit, but you also got to put some perspective on that, Mark. In those last four games, the Bears have basically faced the four worst defenses in the entire NFL. Number 32 defense in Jacksonville. Number 31 defense in Detroit. Number 30 defense in the Houston Texans. And finally, the number 27 defense in the Minnesota Vikings. So we know a little bit why the offense has exploded, considering the opponent. So we'll add a little context to that particular thing. Uh, one thing I'll say about the Packers is they have been consistent on offense all season long. Number three offense in the NFL, 394 yards per game. Number one scoring offense in the NFL, 31.6 points per game. And in fact, the Packers have scored 30 or more points per game in 11 out of 15 games this year. Based on the over-under line and the point spread, the predicted final score in this game is Green Bay 28.5, Chicago 23. The numbers are there, of course, for the over. Is there value on the over? Absolutely not. Uh, not considering what the past series has done. And in fact, three of the last four meetings in this series have indeed gone under the total. But we're seeing things change a little bit in the NFC North division. Historically, a low-scoring division when these teams play each other. In fact, in the last two seasons, 2018 and 2019, NFC North division games went 7-16-1. That's 7 over, 16 unders, one tie. But again, as I mentioned, things are changing a little bit. 70% of all NFC North games this season, 7 out of 10, have gone over the total with an average of 57.1 points per game. Again, another reason why you see that the line is so high in this particular game. Uh, NFL same division games historically have been almost automatic underplays for me when the road team is favored, and that is the case in this game. Green Bay's laying close to a touchdown. Very, very strong numbers for a 10-year period when, again, it's a division game and the road team is favored. However, again, things are changing in this new NFL. In the last two seasons, division road favorites of greater than a field goal and less than 10 points have gone 15-3-2 over-under when the over-under line falls in the range of 38-50 to 50 points. This game qualifies in that situation. So things are indeed changing now in which division road favorites used to be automatic underplays, but that is no longer the case. And remember, the sharp better, the sharp handicapper, rides a pattern, rides a tendency, until it starts turning the other way, and you got to be quick to adapt to go the other way. I haven't decided yet, Mark, if I am going to be betting the over in the game or not. Again, I like value, and there's really not a heck of a lot of value at the current number 51.5. I may just take the dog and bump him up to plus 11.5 points, take the over-under line, move it down to 45, and play a two-team teaser with the Bears at plus 11.5 and over 45. Or I still might bet the over. Either way, I understand why the over-under line is so high in this particular game. The numbers are there for the over, folks. 
not a lot in terms of value. And uh, give me a day or two to handicap to see which way I will officially go. But right now, I'm going to lean toward perhaps a two-team teaser in which you play the dog and the over. Either way, it should be a very, very interesting game. NFC North battle, Packers and Bears. Victor leaning to a two-team teaser with the dog and the over in the Bears-Packers football game as we do the show on Wednesday. We'll see exactly where the line settles out and what he does for the football play. A lot of good stats and numbers from Victor, as always, in the breakdown of the over-under total in this contest. As I mentioned, the Chicago Bears come in as the number seven seed, the seventh and final seed. This is a win-and-you're-in situation for the Chicago Bears uh, coming to this football game. Uh, They could also get into the playoffs involving a Rams loss here as well. You can check out all those possible playoff scenarios, as I mentioned, in the Playbook Football Newsletter this week that pertains to Chicago and all the other football teams that are on the playoff cusp. Uh, Coming into the football game, if Chicago were to make the playoffs, they would become only the third team in National Football League history to endure a six-game losing streak throughout the course of a season and still make the playoffs. This is because the Chicago Bears opened up the season strong, three straight wins in a row. Uh, They won five of their first six football games. Then they had that ugly six-game losing streak. And the majority of that happened when they switched over to Nick Foles as their quarterback. They're back to Mitchell Trubisky, which is where they should be and should have been all season long. With Trubisky this football season, the Bears are 6-2 and two in the eight games that he has started. Uh, if you take a look here, Trubisky has struggled, however, in his career from our quarterback database against 700 or better opponents. He's only 1-6 straight up and 1-5-1 and one to the spread. But in his career, Trubisky has been a strong play as an underdog in division games. He's 5-3-2 to the spread in the 10 times he's been a division underdog, and he's playing some pretty good football coming into this contest, obviously. The Green Bay Packers, the number one seed, as we talked about earlier on, they win this football game, they'll retain that. Or, if, as Victor mentioned, if Seattle loses, they'll also be the number one seed for the NFC coming up for the playoffs. The last five years, Green Bay has really checked out when it comes to last home games of the season. They're only 2-3 and three straight up and 1-4 and four to the spread in their final home game of the season. A lot of that has to do with who played and who didn't play the final week because of playoff positioning and players resting. And you also you take a look here. In the series here, the Green Bay Packers are just 1-5 and five straight up and 0-6 oh and to the spread in the regular season against Chicago when they're coming off a double-digit win and the Bears on a winning record. This is the breakdown here, which is going to get me to the Chicago Bears in the football game to close out and conclude this, this matchup here. And it involves teams that are ending the season in the National Football League on a three-game straight-up and ATS winning streak, and they're playing a division opponent in their final game of the season. If these teams dress up as underdogs, as the Chicago Bears are doing, and if they're coming off a double-digit win, as the Chicago Bears are doing, since 2011, these teams are 17-4 and four straight up and 13-8 and eight to the spread, coming into a situation just like this. Uh, when, they're, when they become off the double-digit win, they improve to 5-0 and oh straight up in ATS. So if you take that 17-4 and four 
and make them a dog coming off a three and zero. So that's their seventeen and four coming off the double digit win as the Bears are. They're a perfect five and zero straight up and against the spread. I'll play the Chicago Bears who will make the playoffs for the first time in ten years should they win this football game. Take the points with the Bears against the Packers for my side in this football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, let's hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe for the final time this 2020 football season from our good friend Andy Esco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas. Andy, I hope you're preparing for the 2021 new year and hope you have a better year in 2021 than we've had in 2020. And you're looking forward to the playoffs as well. Well, Mark, yeah, it's been a very challenging year on so many levels, 2020. Actually, the one thing is that despite all the distractions, the interruptions, postponements, cancellations, it does seem like this football season went by rather quickly. It seems like it was just not that long ago that we were back in August thinking about will the season get underway? What will it look like? College football had its issues, a few in the NFL, but they were all resolved and we played the full uh, we will have played the full 256-game uh, schedule as planned if uh, everything plays out on Sunday as is expected to. And, uh, you know, it's easy to take shots at the NFL, but I give them a lot of credit for the way that they've worked the schedule the last, uh, oh, probably half dozen to ten years with division games ending the regular season. I wouldn't mind seeing the last three weeks actually all consist of division games and spread out the other three division games uh, throughout the course of the season. Maybe you have one in September, one in October, one in November, and then three in the month of uh, December. But that's nitpicking a little bit. We'll see what happens next year as it appears that the NFL will go to that 17-game schedule, which will uh, cause a lot of headaches for us who uh, uh, program things in computers and look at seasons by quarters because 17 is not easily divisible uh, by four. But we'll work around that. It'll be interesting see how the schedule works out as far as what will be the new team added to each team's schedule. Right now, the scheduling with 16 games is beautiful because you play your your uh, six games within your division. Each team in the division plays uh, uh, every team in another division within the conference, and you get another four teams that you play each team in the division in the opposite conference. So there's only two individual games uh, that differentiate between what, say, New England and Miami will play other than the two games against themselves. So I'm looking forward to 2021, but before we get uh, too far into 2021, I am looking forward uh, to the upcoming NFL playoffs. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, publisher of one of the finest football newsletters on the market. Check out Andy's football newsletter this week where he tears down the importance of the bye week in the National Football League playoffs. That, and he obviously tears down the college football playoff, uh, college bowl games that remain in the final week of the National Football League season. And Andy, you mentioned here about the 17-game schedule, and it wouldn't def- uh, defy logic at all to me because of the National Football League being who they are. I talked earlier on in the show, and I went off a little bit about what drives the National Football League, and it's money, it's greed, and those are the two obvious factors that would uh, that would get them uh, to support a 17-game season. So logic goes out the window when it comes to money in the National Football League, and we'll see exactly whether or not that happens next year. I would also uh, expect, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong or what you think, I think we will see a continuing seven teams making the playoffs like we did this year, 
It was forced largely because of, again, greed and money by the National Football League to make up for the lack of revenue that they did not receive as far as fans were concerned in attendance and football games. But do you see, Andy, the National Football League continuing with the seven-team playoff format? Yeah, I really do. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that the 17-game uh, season was actually decided, I believe, a year and a half or two years ago uh, with uh, prior to anything to do with COVID, although certainly with COVID uh, uh, being involved this year, it uh, perhaps increases the urgency uh, for it to occur. Uh, I, I personally like the symmetry that was created by the 16-game uh, schedule. You know, if the NFL wanted to really uh, raise revenue, uh, it'd be difficult other than to perhaps add an additional uh, franchise or two, but I think maybe 32 is like the perfect number as far as the symmetry that I just mentioned. Uh, I would hope that uh, the NFL stays at seven uh, playoff teams. I really like the fact that there's only one team getting a bye. It makes a week like Week 17, especially this year in the NFC, that much more intriguing, that much more exciting as far as three teams still with the possibility of uh, host of, of holding that number one seed and getting uh, that lone bye week. However, I could also see a scenario when you mentioned greed, money, and logic. Sometimes uh, not always in in the same uh, uh, in the same boat together. That the NFL might be more likely to go to eight playoff teams in each conference eliminating the bye week and I don't like that idea at all because I do like the fact that there is now one prize at the end of the long season only one team in each conference is going to get that bye I had no problems when there were two in each conference because it worked out well under the playoff format that's been in that has been in place for 30 years when they went to seven teams I was initially a little bit reluctant but the more I thought about it the more I like it it do means two it does mean two extra uh, games on Wild Card Weekend, and does add added importance to the teams who have already clinched playoff spots or division, say, in early December, uh, to keep on playing. Because as, as you noted in my newsletter this week, I do talk about the value of the bye week and what it uh, pretends for winning conference championships and making it into the Super Bowl. And by the way, on the subject of newsletters, I want to compliment you for including the information on all the playoff scenarios in play in Week 17 because uh, those are those are the intangible factors that uh, many bettors, many handicappers will place different degrees of emphasis on knowing what has to happen. Now, obviously, they take the late afternoon games on Sunday down while the early afternoon games or the morning games out here on the West Coast are being played, but you can position yourself to do certain things once those games come back on or even in the second half of the games that are being played or in-game wagering once it appears that certain fates are going to occur. And uh, you may not get a huge edge, but there still will be some small edges if you correctly uh, forecast what's going to happen in those early games. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas on our weekly Vegas Vibe for the final show of the 2020 football season this week. And with that, Andy, let's hop over to what is important in Vegas as far as the money is concerned. We're talking about the National Football League and money. Let's talk about the contest in Las Vegas and money. This will be the final payout week for the two major contests or two major uh, properties that are sponsoring contests in Vegas. So if you would do the honors, Andy, and bring us up to speed on what it looks like as far as the Superbook and the Circa contest look like going into the final week. I sure will, uh, Mark, and I'm sure that there are some listeners out there who wish there were a podcast next week before the wild card games to get the final tally and the final results of the uh, the major contest, especially uh, that Circus Survivor contest, which I'll talk about in a little bit. I will say that they had 1,390 entries this year. 
I would not be shocked if that number rises to about 5,000 next year, uh, assuming a relative degree of normalcy uh, come summertime. But let's start with the Super Contest Classic. That's the Westgate Superbook Contest that we've heard about for years. It's been uh, a little bit over 30 years that it's been in existence. The uh, COVID situation took a toll on the number of entries this year, combined with the uh, second year of the Circa Million Contest, down from a little over 3,300 entries last year to 1,172, but the contest still pays uh, the top 100 and ties. Uh, last week, uh, week 16, the top five plays, the consensus went three and two for the year through 16 weeks. The consensus right around 540. Th winners, 39 losses, and three pushes. That's 50.6%. The, uh, the, uh, the, the top consensus, rather, the top consensus play in the contest was 0-1. Number one choice this past week was on the L.A. Rams. And, of course, they went down at the uh, uh, hands, uh, arms, uh, feet of Seattle. 7-7-2, uh, seven, seven exactly 50% on the season. Week four of the uh, fourth quarter, which I believe is a five-week competition, uh, for the fourth quarter, weeks 13 through 17. One contestant is at 16 and 4 uh, for weeks 13 through 17. There are five contestants with 15 and a half points. That's 15, oh, uh, 15, 4, and 1. Uh, uh, yeah, 15, 4, and 1. Five contestants are at 15 points, eight more at uh, 14 and a half, 16 at 14. Of course, there will be 25 games that comprise this final quarter. For the main contest overall, we're starting to see a little bit of a separation. And in fact, only uh, 14 contestants are in a position to win the contest this year. Uh, the leader is at 51, 24, and 5 with a point for each win, a half point for each push. That works out to 53.5 out of a possible 80 points. That's a nice solid 66.9% winning percentage. Five contestants are at 50 two more at 49 and a half, three at 49, and the final group of contestants, two at 48 and a half. Those are the only contestants within five and a half of the lead. Quite likely, one of the first two contestants will end up winning this contest because even at 50 points, you have to not only make up three points, meaning you need to go at least four and one to tie, five and oh to advance, but that presupposes that the leader goes 0-5 for you to have that chance. So uh, not looking like that's likely. 4-0-1 uh, for the leader might give the second-place uh, person a chance to catch. Uh, overall, as I mentioned, 14 contestants within five points of the lead. That works out to 60.6%. Another 19 have exactly 48 points, which works out to 60% exactly. So total, excuse me, another five are at 48%. It's a total of 19 out of the 1,172 who have hit 60% for the season. Overall, 76 contestants have full shares of the top 100. Another 27 are tied for uh, places 77 to 100. So that's 27 uh, fighting for uh, 26 uh, payoff positions. So they'll get almost full shares were the standings to remain the same or at least the same uh, distribution of uh, uh, contestants uh, in the final week. And what that means is that in order to be cashing at least something this year, 56.3% is what it would be taking in a year that saw a lot of upsets, especially over the second half of the season. Looking at the Super Contest Gold, that's the $5,000 winner-take-all contest, 72 entrants battling for $360,000. A tie for the fifth most popular selection in Week 16 uh, and caused the consensus to go 4-2, and two 
with six selections. 46, 37, and one for the year. That's 55.4%. Good job for uh, those 72 contestants as far as the top consensus plays go. In the uh, number one selection for the consensus, uh, Pittsburgh, with their uh, great rally in the third and fourth quarters, uh, won and covered as a slight underdog at home against Indianapolis. For the year, the consensus, 9, 5, and 2 for the 16 weeks. That's 62.5%. This contest, a little bit more tightly bunched. However, uh, only four contestants are hitting 60% or better, and only two more for a total of six uh, can win the contest within five of the lead. Uh, the uh, leader has a record of 50, 26, and 4. That's 52 out of 80 uh, possible points, 65.0% uh, winning percentage. Uh, that's a two-point lead over one contestant with 50. Another contestant, a point back at 49, one more at 48, which is exactly 60%. So only four contestants out of the 72 end up right now at 60%. And then uh, one more at 47 and a half, one at 47. So if you're at 47, you're hitting 58.8% in order to be within five points of the leader entering the final week. Looking now at the big contest this year, the Circa Million, that's the one structured like the uh, Super Contest uh, Classic. Uh, uh, however, this one has a $1,000, $1,000 entry fee instead of a $1,500 entry fee, and that partially explains why the contest has taken off in just its second year with 3,148 uh, contestants. The consensus in Week 16, 3 and 2, bringing to the consensus for the year and remember, this is out of uh, over 3,100 entrants. 43, 36, and 1. That's 54.4% for the top five uh, selections. 7, 8, and 1 overall for the number one selection. Last week, it was a loser with the Rams, much like uh, the uh, uh, consensus for the main Super Contest Classic had as well last week. 7, 8, and 1 for the season. That's 46.9%. As far as the fourth quarter results go, one contestant has 17 out of a possible 20 points, three are at 16 and a half, and four are at 16. With over 31 entrants in the field, you would expect this to be a tightly contested uh, contest entering the final week, and indeed it is. The one leader in the contest has 53 and a half out of a possible 80 points. That's good for a half point lead over another contestant. Two further uh, half point back and two more all the way back so that within uh, the uh, uh, top five of the leader, uh, there are uh, 45 contestants within five of the lead. Uh, it takes uh, 48 and a half points uh, to be within five and a half of the lead. That's 60.6%. Each of those 45 also have full shares of the top 50. This contest pays 50 this year rather than the 100 paid by the Super Contest. And there are 10 more at 48, uh, which are tied for places 47 to 50. That works out to exactly 60%. So out of 3,148 contestants, only 55 are hitting 60% or better. So uh, for those out there who think, oh, yeah, it's really easy to hit 60%, well, uh, 3,100-plus people put up $1,000 to show that they could. Only 55 have been able to accomplish that through 16 weeks. Now, finally, to the uh, uh, exciting contest this year, and that's the Survivor Contest, its first year of introduction. I mentioned 1,390 contestants. It's a straight-up contest. You just pick the straight-up winner of the game. No points involved. Uh, the offset to that is that you cannot use a team 
more than once, which is traditional in a last man standing King of the Hill survivor type uh, contest. Uh, there was a little twist this year, as we've noticed several times. Thanksgiving Day constituted its own week, originally expected to have three games and six teams available. The cancellation or postponement, rather, to the following week uh, due to COVID of the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game meant that there were only four teams available. And actually, at the time, as I recall, about half of the remaining field was eliminated because they had to choose one of those four teams. And, of course, if you recall, Washington, uh, Dallas, Houston, and Detroit were the teams, so no uh, no real slugger amongst those at that, at that time. Uh, that field, I believe, went from 209 to 104 or thereabouts. Anyway, entering week week uh, 16 of the con of the uh, season, week 17 technically for the contest, there were 53 contestants still alive for what would be not only the $1,390,000 uh, prize purse for the contest itself, but a $1 million bonus would be added for any contestant or contestants who went 18 and 0. Right now, there were 53 contestants who went 17 and 0 through the first 15 weeks. 35 of them advanced to week 18, uh, week 18 of the contest, week 17. 18 of the contestants lost, so the field shrunk from 53 to 35. How did those 18 losses occur? 12 of them were on the Cleveland Browns in their game at the New York Jets. The deadline, by the way, was 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on Saturday to submit your selections. And it was a little bit after that that the news came out about the depleted core of Cleveland Browns receivers. We saw that line jump from six and a half, or rather drop from about nine and a half, ten to six and a half. Still expecting Cleveland to win the game, but when the Jets pulled a second straight upset over a uh, a nine-win team, ten wins, uh, ten-win team in the case of Cleveland, uh, twelve contestants uh, were eliminated from that uh, from the contest on that selection. Five were eliminated by picking the Houston Texans over the Cincinnati Bengals. And one contestant lost on Saturday with Arizona failing to defeat San Francisco. So uh, 35 contestants advancing to the final week. Should uh, all 35 win, uh, the payoff of the $2.39 million would be split evenly amongst the 35. Works out to a shade under 70000 A far cry from... What you start, what you expected at the start of the contest—that one person would take home a million three ninety, or that several would split it—and now you have the possibility and ex the extreme likelihood that uh, half or more of those uh, uh, contestants will uh, will be uh, uh, splitting that prize. So not a huge payday compared to the potential, but huge popularity in the contest. And whereas we said only 55 people were able to hit 60 percent or better in the uh, regular contest, uh, 35 out of uh, uh, about a a little bit uh, more than a third of those numbers of entries were able to submit perfect cards uh, through the first 17 weeks of the contest. What's going on in Las Vegas at both the Circa and the Westgate Superbook contest with a lot of money to be doled out following this weekend's results? And Andy, before I let you go and head off to the 2021 year ahead of us, if you would do us a favor and share with us your complimentary play on the NFL football card as well. I will do that, Mark. I wish I could share with you the look-ahead lines for the opening week of the wild card because that would give us a huge edge in Week 17. But unfortunately, uh, there are no lines to share this week. We'll just have to wait for those lines to come out, uh, most likely Sunday night or uh, Monday morning following the end of uh, Week 17. I'm going to take a look at the game between New England and the New York Jets. And 
Let's give credit to the New York Jets for uh, uh, not uh, just conceding the number one draft choice, but following it up uh, with a second win. You have to wonder if that's going to leave a little bit of an exhale uh, for the Jets coming into this season in the game against their longtime rival, New England. Uh, After two decades of dominance, New England's reign may be coming to an end. We can't say for sure. We'll know more about it uh, next season. At 6-9, however, the Patriots will have their first losing season since Bill Belichick's first season as coach, and that was back in the year uh, 2000. Now, there were some things working against the Patriots coming into this season as COVID-19 caused several key defensive players to opt out prior to the start of the season. Uh, But add to that the signing of Cam Newton to replace Brady, did not uh, work out as expected, despite uh, some very positive signs early in the season during the month of September when it looked like it was going to be a very solid signing. Uh, meanwhile, as I mentioned before, the Jets are feeling good about things after their 0-13 start uh, with wins over uh, the 9-win Rams and the 10-win Browns. Uh, for largely unknown reasons, however, still shrouded in some mystery, uh, Belichick has long harbored ill feelings towards the Jets organization for whom he was the coach for one day. Uh, following the departure of Bill uh, Parcells before he went to to New England. Uh, He's demonstrated that distaste on the field uh, with his Patriots winning 15 of the last 17 meetings uh, since 2014. Uh, overall, uh, Belichick's Patriots are 32-11, uh, 32 and excuse me, 33 and 11 now uh, straight up uh, against the uh, uh, against the Jets. 22-19 and two ATS against the spread, which doesn't sound uh, very impressive. But when you consider that the Patriots are usually heavily favored, uh, 26 of the wins have been more by have been by more than three points, two by exactly three. Uh, I don't know if I've heard anything. I haven't followed anything, but I'm wondering if he might not retire after the season. Uh, We saw the frustration uh, uh, very evident in Monday night's game against Buffalo when he took that headset after a challenge and just banged it against the... uh, uh, the speaker or whatever that uh, piece of equipment was. Very uncharacteristic for Belichick to show any emotion, much less that type of, of anger. And you wonder if he might not take the course uh, that his father, who was a longtime college coach and assistant, most uh, notably with the uh, uh, with the U.S. Uh, uh, Naval Academy uh, down in Annapolis. Uh, Steve Belichick, a longtime coach, wrote one of the great books on uh, football uh, uh, techniques, etc. Uh, he retired at about the same age that Bill Belichick is right now. Belichick's going to be uh, 69 uh, in, uh, uh, in, I believe it's April of, uh, of 2021. And you figure after three straight losses, all by double digits, what more has he got to prove? He's been coaching since 1975 when he was assistant with the, with the, the then Baltimore Colts. Uh, he's uh, got a nice opportunity outside of uh, football to do basically whatever he wants, whether it's related to football or in other endeavors, uh, probably as a motivational speaker uh, dealing with uh, what makes for a successful uh, organization. I'm sure he could share some good thoughts on that. Anyway, after those three straight losses I mentioned, all by double digits, uh, I think Belichick, who never stops coaching, take out his frustrations on his favorite punching bag, uh, the New York Jets, in what could be his final game, either as Pat's coach or as coach overall in the NFL. I'm going to look for the Pats to uh, get the win and cover and at least put a little bit of a good taste in the mouth of uh, the Patriots and uh, the Patriots community and Bill Belichick himself as this uh, ugly 2020 season draws to a close. Andy looks for Bill Belichick to put on the boxing gloves and knock out the New York Jets this weekend in what may be his final appearance as a head coach in the National Football League, or at least with the New England Patriots. He'll lay the points with New England against the New York Jets. And Andy, as always, a great job on the show once again this weekend, all season long. 
We've enjoyed thoroughly visiting with you each week for the Vegas Vibe. And uh, uh, if anything comes up between now and next week, and there's a possibility, a little window opening up of maybe coming back to do a brief little NFL playoff segment, we'll keep you in touch and a healthy and happy 2021 year ahead. Mark, I want to wish you, Victor, our producer Jeff, and all the uh, staff and supporting personnel at uh, at Playbook, and of course all of our loyal listeners, uh, the happiest, healthiest, and especially this year, the safest of uh, New Year's, and uh, many good things to come in 2021. It's been a challenging, uh, yet a very uh, entertaining uh, and uh, profitable uh, football season. Hopefully things will return to normalcy. I hope the only thing that's not normal next year is the 17-game schedule. Well, once again, Andy, stay safe and stay healthy, and we'll look forward to visiting with you again down the road. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll share with you our final segment, the awesome angle of the week, Victor's complimentary play, and mine as well, when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. If you haven't seen Andy Isco's The Logical Approach Football Newsletter, then you owe it to yourself to download this week's newsletter in time for the football games this week. Check out the new issue every week at TheLogicalApproach.com. See what winning football information is all about at TheLogicalApproach.com. We're going against the spread with Mark Lawrence after this. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need, guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as in Apple and G as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. To put a final spin on this week's show, let's do what Mark does best, his awesome, awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week on the show this week, and we call it On the Road Again, Finally. And what we're looking to do is to play against any NFL away team that has a 6-15 or fewer win percentage if they're coming off three consecutive home games. So you go on the road, of three consecutive home games, your win percentage is 615 or less since 1980 by playing against these teams. We are 27 and 11 against the spread. That's a 71% winning angle. And with that, we'll play against the Las Vegas Raiders, who were swept all three games in their home games going out on the road this week. We'll fade the Raiders for our awesome angle play on the football card this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out exactly what Victor's got on tap this week. And Victor, if you would also share with our listeners out there your complimentary play as well. Sure can, Mark. Now, uh, I'm a little sad. This is the very last issue of the totals tip sheet for the season. I just finished it yesterday. It is ready to go, but, uh, you know, you always get sad with that last issue of the season. Now, I didn't really come out with a play in this uh, Bears-Packers game. Uh, We tried to explain and justify the huge over-underline in the game. We posted some interesting numbers and a little bit of perspective in that particular game, but I didn't really commit to a play. So we're going to put both of our doggies on the line this week. That's Monkey and Tuco as well, and uh, we'll call it a uh, double free play. I mean, this is the season of giving. It's better than to give than uh, receive during the holiday season. So we'll give the ball to Monkey first, 
and Monkey's going under the total in the Jaguars-Colts game. That's Jacksonville and Indianapolis with the over-under line currently at 50 points. And the this particular division is where our database querying begins. Since 2013, AFC South division games have gone 1-14 and 14 over-under when A, the host is favored by five or more, like the Colts are, and it's game seven or greater in the season. So uh, these games, particularly in the second half of the season, have gone uh, under at a very, very high percentage. Now, we got the Jaguars. They're basically in the same spot as the New York Giants these days. They're off three straight blowout losses in a row. The Jaguars have lost by 24, 26, and 21 points in the last three years of the NFL. Teams off three straight losses of 14 or more points have gone 1-11 and 11 over under. That applies to the Jaguars. And, uh, yeah, I know that they have allowed a lot of points as of late. In fact, in their last two games, they've allowed 41 and 40 points. But with that said, I'm not too concerned because NFL teams who have allowed 40 or more points in each of their last two games have gone 3-17 and 17 over under since 2006. Monkey's going under the total in the Jaguars-Colts game. And next up, we'll give the ball to Tuco real quick. And, uh, hey, every once in a while, you know, Tuco lets loose with a stinker. And he did last week with the Arizona Cardinals, who never showed up to play against the 49ers, scoring only 12 points at home. With that said, Tuco still having an outstanding season and his team total of the week is going to be on the Baltimore Ravens to go over their team total of 28 points. They're on the road. They're facing the uh, basically the bungling Bengals. And, you know, Baltimore's got a lot to play for in this particular game. The timing is pretty much perfect for the Ravens to basically keep the pedal to the metal for the full 60 minutes as they come in with the hottest offense in the NFL in the last month of play in which they've averaged 37 points per game, 407 yards per game on offense. Now, Baltimore is laying the double Ds on the road against the Bengals. NFL road favorites of greater than 10 points have averaged 32 points per game. Last week, Baltimore ran for 249 yards in that big home win against the Giants. And AFC favorites of three or greater who rushed for 240 or more at home have averaged 36 points per game in their last three years. The Bengals, uh, they've pretty much packed it in on defense. They've allowed 30 or more points already in six games this year. This will make it seven times. So your double free play this week is Tuco playing the Baltimore Ravens over their team total of 28 points. And, of course, we've got our dog Monkey playing the Jaguars Colts under the total of 50 points. That's from the Canines this week. For our King Creole service, Mark, we've got one game in the NFL in which we're going over the total on Sunday, in which we've got enough ammo out of the database to justify either a four- or a five-star best bet. We'll look at it a little more. We'll post it online at the playbook.com website on Wednesday evening. But our over of the week in the NFL, again, available Wednesday. And don't forget the... uh, NFL playoffs, I know I said I'm a little sad that we've just concluded the last issue of the totals tip sheet, but we've got a King Creole playoff package that you can get on board with all four weeks of the playoffs for just $99, 
and uh, you can take a look at that. So, again, it's Newsletter Nirvana, Mark, Playbook Newsletter, Midweek Alert Newsletter, which is also Part 2 of our Bowl Stat Report, Totals Tip Sheet, all available at the Playbook.com website. Good luck to our two canines this week. And as I understand it, Mark's got a big, is that a double 10-star weekend, Mark? I sure do, Victor. Both our NFL Game of the Year and our 10-star College Bowl Play of the Year are going to go this weekend. It's all part of a double 10-star weekend of winners from our late phone football service. You can get it all for just $99 complete. To take advantage of our double 10-star weekend of winners, log on at playbook.com or call toll-free at 1-800-321-7777. Before I get to my complimentary plate, once again, I want to remind our listeners out there about the up to $1,000 sign-up bonus at our friends at mybookie.ag. To get your up to $1,000 sign-up bonus, simply log on at mybookie.ag, use the promo code PLAYBOOK, or give them a call toll-free. The number is one 866 bets That's one 866 2387 to get your up to $1,000 sign-up bonus at our friends at mybookie.ag. And with that, my complimentary play on the football card this week, we'll go into the College Bowl card and hop over to the Gator Bowl, where NC State will take on Kentucky in the Gator Bowl matchup in this football game. We'll be going to back the Wolfpack from NC State, a mission team this year. They had a losing season last year after having been a bowler each of the previous six football seasons, and they played like a team on a mission this year. They closed out with four consecutive wins to conclude the season after a 4-3 and three start. They're taking points from a 4-6 and six Kentucky football team that is also just 4-6 and six against the spread. If you go back and you look at NC State, their last 12 bowl games, they're 9-3 and three to the number. With that, we'll take up the points with NC State over Kentucky for a complimentary play on the football show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread for the 2020 football season. For Victor King from King Creel Sports, our good friend Andy Esco joining us from Las Vegas as he does each and every week. Until then, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always. 